0: Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support.
1: I mean, when it comes to belief systems or how our government works, you know, are we gonna have those ideas backed by authoritarianism where it's do it because I said so, or are we gonna have reasons?
0: Liberty Podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Hello doggies, kitties, lions. Welcome to another episode of Lions of Liberty, the flagship show here. On the Lions of Liberty podcast feed, where you can find myself right here every single Monday conducting interesting interviews, like the one you're going to hear today, as well as fun roundtables like the one you're going to hear next week when we revisit an annual tradition here at Lions of Liberty, our annual Naughty or Nice special, a Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor Style roundtable, where I will bring in some of the gang, Brian, Odie, Rico, Howie, who knows who's going to appear. I don't promise that all those names will be there, but... Putting some teasers out there. Some of them will definitely be there. Where we break down some of the big names in politics, big names in libertarian circles, and decide who has been naughty or nice for liberty. It is a raucous good time, I guarantee that. And be sure to keep tuning in the rest of this week, because, of course, the fun doesn't stop with me, kids, on Mondays. Every single Wednesday, Brian McWilliams brings you his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty with Electric Liberty Land, and John Odermat, my man Odie, wraps things up every single Friday with his weekly look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. You don't want to miss a thing. You got to be sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is you've listened to this podcast. And if you're playing along at home, you can find today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 326. That's where you can go and do the learning because that's where we'll have links to everything we discuss with today's guest. And one more tiny piece of business before we get to that guest, I got to remind you guys, if you're... Making decisions about your health care. If you don't know what to do, I implore you to head over to lions of slash health and look into our friends at Health Excellence Plus, an amazing free market alternative to your standard Obamacare, souped up Trump care, whatever it is now insurance, you got to check it out. Health Excellence Plus, lions of slash health. All right, and today's guest is returning to the show after appearing a couple times very early on in the run of this podcast. He is the author of two books, Four Individual Rights, as well as his second book, Reason and Liberty The Foundations of Civilization, of which the third edition was recently released. I'm pleased to welcome back Shane Whistler. Shane, are you ready to roar? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me back, Mark. All right, Shane. Well, you know, like I said, you've been on this program a couple times talking about your books, but this was over three years ago uh, at this point, and we've obviously got a lot of new listeners on board, and you also put out a new edition of your latest book, uh, so I think this is a good time to bring you back and go over a lot of the ideas that you put forward. I think you really do make, uh, quite honestly, I think the best case for individual rights in your book that I've seen, the most, if you will, rational one, which I know is what you're striving for, uh, but, you know, like all of us, Shane, you didn't always hold the worldview that you hold now, so I wanted to start off, if you don't mind, with you discussing a bit uh, of your former belief system you were raised a Mormon. So how did you first start to question those beliefs? And how did that eventually lead you to starting down the path of uh, learning about individual rights and individual liberty and that sort of thing?
1: I think everybody probably, you know, questions their beliefs uh, when they're religious, when they're raised in a religious background. And some people follow the questions and some people don't. But uh, I I think the first, I I don't know if there's a first, but uh, there's different influences that come into your mind. Like, as you go through public school, you see these heroic scientists questioning things, and you you know you you see that reason is good and beneficial. And uh, you know when I got to university, I saw that qu- uh, quote by Galileo that's in the chapter on induction, that says, you know, I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who's endowed us with senses, reason, and intellect has intended us to go- to forego their use, and that really stuck in my mind and. And 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 kind of opened up. Hey, I can think about anything, because you know, why would God give me this mind uh, if He didn't want me to use it?
0: So basically, you you started to understand the concept of reason, the idea of following reason, and that sort of tended to conflict with a lot of what you were being told uh, regarding you know, the, the beliefs of the Mormon religion.
1: I, I guess I didn't perceive it that way. I just I just followed my thinking wherever it went. I didn't really think of myself as a, a really, you know, strong Mormon at the time, you know, and I bumped into that quote. Uh, so it wasn't really like a big deal for me.
0: Did you sort of express your doubts uh, regarding the religion, I guess, to, to anyone at that point as you became, I guess, maybe more emboldened in your beliefs and, and the ideas you were pursuing?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I went to a Bishop one time and told him that he was making a big mistake and he should, you know, really question his beliefs and he told me that he told me that we needed religion in our lives which i was surprised because i thought he'd say well no it's really true but he didn't say he didn't say it was true. He just he just thought he needed it.
0: So, so you basically came to this bishop and said, you know, I, I've been doing some thinking about this stuff, and I really don't think that what this religion is teaching me is true. And his response was not to argue that it was true. It was just to give a sort of an an alternate reason for why you should just listen to it anyway.
1: Right. Which I was just shocked. I, I didn't. I couldn't find the words to respond really to that because I figured he'd stand up for his beliefs, and he didn't.
0: Now, one concept you mentioned at the top there uh, is the idea of induction. And look, I, I think we should say, you know, to, to get into your book, your book is not long. It, it's actually quite short, even with the added chapter uh, that we can discuss a little bit later that you added in the third edition. Uh, but it is kind of a, it, it's a very thoughtful read. It's not something you're going to blaze right through, because I, I honestly think, and I mean this in a very good way, every paragraph is so chock full of meaning uh, that it really does take a, a very thorough read. You don't want to blaze right through it. So just like that, we, we can't blaze through a podcast and cover everything. So we're not even going to try to do that. What I want to do is just touch on some of the bigger concepts that you do address in the book and uh, maybe some concepts that some people aren't entirely familiar with and you know kind of go from there and hopefully interest people into looking into things a little bit further. But one concept you mentioned a little bit earlier there is this idea of induction and uh, how that relates to the idea of reason and following reason. So for people that don't that have not heard this term before induction, why don't you just give a very basic explanation of what is induction?
1: Well, induction, in my view, is—I mean—the the, sub, the subtitle of the chapter is uh, "From Experience to Thought." So, induction is how we proceed from our experiences in the world, uh, all the sense uh, sense data we, that flows into our minds, um, even internal uh, sense data like emotional states, or you know, I'm feeling a little bit nauseated, or, or whatever that flows into your mind. And you're somehow processing all this, uh, this, this flow of experience into thoughts. Induction is you know, it's the issue of how do we come to arrive at truth by this flow of experience into thought. You know, is induction valid? Like, uh, you know, David Hume uh, pointed out that if you try to prove the validity of induction using logic, that that's like trying to prove the validity of logic using logic. It's a circle. You can't actually do it. And so then, you know, then some philosophers have said that there's a problem of induction in that you can't prove it using logic. And they make a big deal out of this, uh, but they don't I don't hear them making a big deal out of you can't prove, you know, the validity of logic using logic. I don't know why that is exactly, but I mean the end of the road there is that it's it's an axiom. I mean there's when you're using reason, you must be logical. If you're going to be rational, you must be logical, but you also must follow the evidence. So you must uh, adhere to the experience
0: and this concept of induction is is essentially the starting point and when we're going to philosophize and we're going to follow reason we we have to start with just simply whatever is coming into our body whatever's coming into our mind whatever part of the outside world we are experiencing and then we're taking that data that sensory data and sort of interpreting it from there uh, is, is that somewhat accurate
1: yeah well you you can choose to do it or not so you don't have to do it but uh the the point is if you want to if you want to be following reason if you want to be like the scientist who cares about truth you know truth depends on you know logic which means that you're going to have integrity of your thoughts that they fit together correctly and that you're going to follow the evidence and where it leads which the evidence is your experience the problem is raised of well how can we do that or why is it justified and the, and the problem with the question is that it's the same as asking why is logic justified. It's a decision you have to make whether you want to live in a fantasy world where you don't care about what, what the evidence coming into your senses is, you're going to just make it up, you know, or whether you're going to have adherence to the real world. And people can you can choose whichever way you want. Now, people who choose to follow the real world are going to look at you and say, you're crazy, right? Uh, but you know, I can't force you. you. You, whatever you do with your brain is what you want to do with it, right? But uh, they can, they can tell you crazy or, you know, you're immoral and they, and they, they may, they're, they're correct, but you can choose to ignore that too, right? So I can't make you follow reality.
0: That's true. I mean, if I'm sitting in my living room and suddenly it starts to get a little hot and I, and I smell some smoke and then my fire alarm goes off and then I go up to the to the office door and I touch the handle and it's hot, all that data is telling me that uh, the house is on fire and I should take some drastic action to protect myself. But nothing's forcing me to do that. I could sit back down in the living room and act like everything's fine, at which point I will be burned to cinders. So maybe that's a, an unintended analogy, but in some ways that is what happens eventually on ultimately to people. People that don't uh, essentially follow the truth, that don't follow reason where it leads, you're going to be in sort of a a, a metaphysical uh, heap of cinders, I guess you might say.
1: Right, and and also in the in the realm of philosophy, if you know philosophy is aimed at finding truth, and you're going to ignore the evidence, then you're not relevant to the forum of philosophy where we're where we're discovering truth. So. You, you know, you don't have to come in there and you can be like a, a little child who's throwing tantrums and, and spouting out nonsense and doing all sorts of weird things. And that's your choice. But if you want to be in a philosophical forum, you know, engaging on what is true then you should follow the evidence where it leads, right? All
0: right now, th- this concept of induction brings us to, I-, I guess, what is really the base concepts upon which you uh, you know, build your beliefs and in individual rights and liberty uh, through the use of reason. But uh, before getting to that, we have the concepts of metaphysics and metaethics. Now, a lot of people that have kind of done deep dives on philosophy before will be very familiar with those terms. Some, some other people might not be familiar with those terms whatsoever. So if you could get maybe sort of the, uh, the elevator speech version of exactly what metaphysics and metaethics are and how they relate and you know, how that leads us to this idea that you already put forward, this idea that we must follow reason.
1: The starting point is, I mean, when it comes to uh, belief systems or things that you know, people are telling us to do or, or how our government works, you know, are we going to have those ideas backed by authoritarianism where it's do it because I said so or do it because God said so, or because the group said so? Or are we going to have reasons? So is it going to be well-justified reasons? And if, if you say, no, I don't want authoritarianism, I want reason, uh, then that means you've got to provide arguments for what you're proposing. So it turns out if you say, well, what is the argument for this particular thing? And then you, you say, well, why is that true? Right. And then you, somebody gives, you know, they'll say it's a rational person and he gives you a rational answer. Well, here's why that's true. And then you said, well, why is that true? Why is the answer you gave me, you know, to why just true? And if you keep asking why, then there's there's basically two options. I mean, they'll, they'll, they actually say there's three, but I think it comes down to two. Well, actually, they'll also give you the three. You, you, you'll either, you know, he'll keep going with reasons why and you'll end up going in a circle. Right. Or, you know, a circle of reasons, basically circular reasoning. And, or you'll, he'll keep going on forever with an infinite number of statements. Or he'll stop at a certain point and, and it'll basically be an axiom and say, well, this is self-evident, right? So me- metaphysics and metaethics, the way I see it, it's basically when you've hit that last point and you're either going to say, well, here are the axioms and we can't go any further. These are self-evident. Or you could say, well, we're just going to go in a circle forever, <laughs> and so that's that's your your metaphysics. Or we're going to go in, to infinity, and and so your position on how uh, how those questions resolve, like the end point that they resolve to, is is in the category of metaphysics. Meta ethics, uh, I think, is is pretty much pretty much metaphysics, but it has to do with ought instead of you know, more basic axioms.
0: So a simple way to break this down might be metaphysics are sort of the base truths that we have to work with. And then metaethics are how we derive what actions we should take based on those truths.
1: Metaethics is, you know, why should you do something, you know, basically ought. Any moral statement as like, you shouldn't kill or you shouldn't hurt somebody, those kind of statements uh, resolve to metaethics. And then just the basic statements of, well, how do you know this and how do you know that and why that, they trace back to metaphysics. But, I, but they really, you could put them all in the same category because they're really the very end of the road and you can't go any further.
0: All right. So you, you use the term ought there. So this seems like a really good point in this conversation to shift over to a concept that you hear a lot about when trying to justify uh, natural rights arguments. Um, you know, And you'll you'll often hear a reference to what is supposedly called the is-ought gap. And this is an interpretation of something said by philosopher David Hume. Why don't you just go ahead and first of all, explain what the is-ought gap is to people out there that might not be familiar with it. And then we can dig a little bit deeper into why you think that there, this gap is... Is not really the gap that some make it out to be
1: well there's two issues here one is what did hume actually say and then there's the is ought gap and the, and the question of what hume actually said he said that he noticed that that people tend to reason in moral philosophy they might reason this is the case this is the case this is the case this ought to be the case and he notices that they just jump from saying is 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 such as such as such is true and then, but and then, therefore, you ought to do this, and they do it without explaining how they have proceeded from the is to the ought. Like they have basically jumped or skipped over it and jumped to a. It's basically a non sequitur, logically speaking. So
0: he, in many ways, he was he was basically making an observation about what he's seeing others in the philosophical realm do and other people out there. He's not necessarily saying. Therefore, you can't do that. You can't make that gap. You can't make the leap from is to ought. He's just saying most people don't.
1: Right. He's just saying that if you notice, if you pay close attention, that you'll, you'll find that it's a their arguments are non sequitur, and you should pay attention to this. And that's all he was saying. But people have turned this into that you can never prove uh, you know, with reason, that, and you can't prove moral truths with reason, that there's no, there's no justification.
0: Yeah, and and as you get into in your book, you think the exact op- opposite of that, that you can actually prove moral truth with reason. Uh, so I, I guess that's, w- that's what we'll go into. I do want to get into some more of uh, your criticisms of some other justifications for individual rights. So We'll get to that in a minute, but I first think it's important to kind of summarize yours. And again, uh, you know, I highly recommend reading the book for a, a more detailed, thorough breakdown of this, but I want to just give us the basic concept of why. What is that why? Why should we follow reason? And how does this lead to the concept of individual rights? And that's a question you answered an entire book. Yeah. So like I said, I know we can't get to all of that in, in, a, in a short answer, but we'll try to do our best.
1: Yeah, I have to point out that chapter one through five, the reason those chapters were written was precisely uh, that question. <laughs> so it took, exactly. so it, took, you know, it took me that long to do it. Now, it doesn't mean you can't do it in simpler terms, uh, but to, to do it in two parts, I mean, I'd ask a question uh, back to you, why follow reason? When, when people ask that kind of question, uh, the term why – and we should underscore the term why in the question why follow reason and ask the person precisely what do you mean by why.
0: Why are you asking why? You well, wh- what do you mean – what sort of
1: answer would count as a good answer to that, you know, in that question? What standards are you using to evaluate my, you know, my answer? What are you looking for? 'Cause different people might have different things in mind. Like they might be thinking, Well, what's in it for me? For example, like why should I follow reason? What am I gonna get out of it? Right? That might be one sort of person, you know, you know, that would ask that question. A different type would be like, Well, give me the reasons why I should follow reason, right?
0: And if someone is asking for reasons it's kind of a circular argument there because if they're asking for reasons, they're already conceding that they think we should have reasons, so they're they're sort of answering the question by asking the question in many ways
1: right so so we have to ask that first now, if it was the first type who says, well, "What do I get out of it um, well that that's if your standards are what do I get out of it? Then you're not really having, you don't have a philosophical standard because in philosophy, we're trying to figure out what's true. So we want to know the second type of why, which is what is the, uh, rational justification, right?
0: So, okay. So if someone comes to you and says, you know, why should I follow reason? I I understand your arguments. Uh, They're interesting. I think you've come to a a good concept of individual rights to lay out. But how are you going to get anybody to, to follow these ideas? Why should anyone take your ideas about what individual rights are? Why should we actually listen to them? And I, I'm saying that as as a straw man, sort of, uh, but that that is the kind of argument you get out there when presenting arguments for individual rights in general. People will will say, "Well, you can you can lay out the case for rights all you want, but you can't you can't force anybody to respect them." So, how well, if does... you have
1: a discussion at all with anybody, you have to decide: Is this person sincere? Are they serious? Do they care about truth? And uh, if like if that isn't the terms of the discussion that you're having with them then like if truth and if reason and logic is not the the their standard then the discussion is meaningless
0: right at best you can just convince them of various piecemeal political viewpoints uh, but in that case they're only going to see what what political viewpoint viewpoint do I feel the best about what political viewpoint do I like the best as opposed to what is correct what is right based right. on the truthful knowledge that we have come to
1: yeah I mean the point the point my point you know when I come to this is I'm trying to engage in a rational way I'm not trying to uh, be a demagogue or just you know, get people to follow a certain political party or do a certain thing and manipulate them into doing it. What I care about is actual sincere understanding all the way down.
0: And I should point out, you believe this to the point that even in your your book, you say, I'm not saying that I am correct and that I have found the truth here. I'm saying that I, I believe I have. And if anyone has uh you know evidence or points to counter it, bring it on. I mean you essentially make a call uh you know in your book that you, you want these ideas to be challenged. Uh you believe they're correct. But if somebody else doesn't and wants to present a rational argument for why they're not, you know, you're more than open to it. I think the problem you run into and a lot of us run into out there when we're you know having political discussions of any kind is that uh often the other side isn't really looking to listen the other side is looking to demagogue themselves and we get that in in all sorts of political circles including libertarianism.
1: Right, I, that's why I don't I don't really get along with uh, any of these existing uh, big parties because I I'm like Socrates, you know, I'm just a pain in the pain in the butt and you know ask them questions and question, you know, uh criticize the various things they're doing, and and say, look, you ought to fix this.
0: Let's maybe compare. Actually, I, I do want to close the the gap, if you will, a little bit more of why why this concept of following reason, how that actually leads uh, to your concept of individual rights. How do we get from from A to B there?
1: Well, um, yeah, that's that's kind of hard to pack in one little thing, but but it th- is. the basic <laughs> uh, I think the basic thing is. If you're if you're following reason, then your actions are based on your uh, belief that what you're what you're doing is is rational. You've concluded, "Hey, I ought to do this." And so, if somebody, you know, stops you from doing that, they're interfering with your reason. So they're they're blocking you from from following reason in reality and doing what what you think you should do. Uh, but there's multiple levels to this because if they if they attack you in any way they're going to interfere with your, your thoughts and your reason even independent of them interfering with the, the choice to do a certain thing in reality because they're going to distract you uh, or you know you're going to have to switch to emergency mode to deal with them interfering with you so now you're not you're not able to follow reason but there's many levels and angles to the question which I hopefully I dealt with in the book
0: well yeah and I think that is one of the things that really clicked with me the first time I read that book is how you tie in having rational thoughts uh, being a rational human being directly into act the actions of, of that same human being so if you're having rational thoughts and you are acting rationally then you know you are just a rational actor you are you know com- com- you are partaking in what what you would call rights you have the right to partake in these rational actions <laughs> based on your rational thoughts and then the opposite and then this is I think what's r- one really great concept of your book is this idea of rights versus crimes uh, John Odermatt is all over this idea it's it's half the basis of, of his felony Friday program uh, the idea that you're either a rational actor, uh, you're not harming other people, you're not interfering with the rational actions of others, or you are. And if you are interfering with the rational actors of others, then, then we would call your, you a criminal. You're committing a crime by interfering with those acts. So you really do make a very clear distinction in your book that every action essentially is either a right, meaning it's a rational act that you have the right to undertake out there in the world because you're not interfering with any other rational acts or you're committing a crime because you're interfering with a rational act. And I think that's a a very in many ways it sounds simplistic, and it doesn't mean every situation is simple to break down. A lot a lot of times it might not be easy to identify that right or that crime, but that doesn't mean there aren't rights and crimes to identify. It just means we have to think deeper, you know, about certain situations. Right. Do you get any kind of pushback or criticisms on that concept of rights versus crimes? Because to me, I think it's, it's, it's probably the most important concept in your book, and it's the most important concept in libertarianism, because so much is based on it. I mean, on the simple level, we can easily point to someone holding a gun at somebody threatening their life and say that is clearly a crime that's very easy uh, but when we get to higher level discussions about say the nature of government something that you've written on extensively things do get a little more tricky
1: to me it seems like uh, if you look out at the institutions and you can start at the top down like in government like you can say you can bring to government the clearest best case that proves that the the war on drugs, is a crime against humanity and shouldn't be done. And you can bring it to a court of law and you could prove your case, or you could bring it to the Congress and prove your case, or you could bring it to the university system where they teach, you know, they educate everybody and, and prove it. And it wouldn't matter. Your proof could be watertight. Uh, people aren't going to listen and they don't care. Uh, it, it doesn't matter to them. Um, and likewise, you could go to uh, to the libertarian organizations. I mean, I can name them off, but you could go to any libertarian organization or Ayn Rand Institute or wherever you want to go and and bring a case and say, look, there's a flaw here in one of these ideas of yours and you are you're out there telling the world how everything should be and part of what you're telling them is wrong and you bring the criticism to them and they will do nothing with it. And it seems like everybody you know, almost everybody just wants to believe whatever they want to believe with impunity, and so so they don't they don't accept criticism and they don't really give it either, right? So so I haven't got a lot of real criticism, uh, probably because the they don't want to hear criticism the other way is, is what I would imagine.
0: Right. To get criticism back, you have to have people who are willing to take the criticism in the first place. And uh, in many ways, that is a difficult thing to find. And I think that speaks to one thing that you, you talk about to great extent in your book is this ki- concept of institutions and the institutions in our society and, and ha- how ultimately institutions should be based on the same concept of follow reason. And, and the, the end of that sentence follow reason has to be wherever it may lead, not As long as it leads to where we want it to lead, so you know our 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 institutions don't care about a rational case for ending the war on drugs because at the base level, our legal institutions and our society, our, our structural institutions in our society today their bottom line is not follow reason. There might be a a number of different, you know, legal justifications for our system. And and in many ways, you know, just the concept of self-defense is is largely defended. There are aspects of it that certainly do uh, jive with the concept of of individual rights and following reason. But the institution overall certainly is not. And I think that is the case uh, in all sorts of institutions, whether they're governmental or, like I said, even in perhaps many other libertarian and other political institutions as well.
1: Right. I mean, I think and i think it's more productive to focus not on the government ones but on the ones like on the libertarian ones or you know even your own family or your own habits right so so do you personally you know want to be able to get away with believing things that are nonsense and you, you won't be criticized you know that's the smallest institution is your own habits and, and what you do but but then on the next level up uh the you know, the libertarian institutions. I mean, I I don't see how you can recapitulate what the governments are doing, basically rule rule of impunity, where they do things without reasons and they won't take feedback. And how are you going to fix that if you're not going to uh, care to accept critical feedback and fix things in your own little uh, dominion of libertarianism and that, that, that applies to, you know, like Cato Institute or Ayn Rand Org or any of these other, you know, different institutions, you know, if they won't be self-reflective and self-critical and have quality control on their ideas, you know, how can they pretend to be able to tell the government that it's not doing the right thing? That just that's makes no sense. And so to me, it's a recipe for total failure that uh, that they will not start off on the right foot there and, and and have an explicit quality control of their ideas where people can bring rational criticisms to them and they'll either answer it rationally and say here's why we're right or they will change what they're doing
0: uh, yeah I think often it's it's just it's just easier uh, for everybody to point to the government at all times and say, that's evil, that thing over there, it's terrible, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, and criticize it to no end, but it's a lot more difficult to criticize ourselves you know our own belief system something that we've come to hold for whatever reason what well, even if we say have a justification for libertarians a lot of people will say well as long as we all agree on x y and z political positions we can just join hands and move together and go on from there and i think that is true in many cases when it comes to you know day-to-day political activism like i mean if if a progressive agrees with me on on gun rights for whatever reason i'm happy to just go join them in, in a in a rally for gun rights and work with them on that one issue but when we're speaking to the to actually changing society at large we really do need to change the base core philosophy of at least a decent a number of the people surrounding us and uh, to change someone's deeply held beliefs is a lot more difficult than to change uh, you know a random political position here or there especially if that political position isn't grounded in a in a uh, you know a hardened belief in the first place so i, I think that's why you get a, a, you have a lot more difficulty really trying to change somebody's minds uh, on something even if they say might agree with libertarianism like I might run into a utilitarian who agrees with every single political position down the line as me but I will be unhappy <laughs> that that they they will argue it for it on utilitarian grounds because to me if you're arguing for something on utilitarian grounds even if it's some if it's something that I agree with now well if you're if you're making ut- a utilitarian argument that essentially says whatever works best whatever the metric may be for that well your position might change tomorrow I have no way of knowing wh- where you're gonna go with all this stuff because you're not ba- you don't have the same moral foundation that I did. right it's
1: it's basically authoritarianism is just looming there the whole time and there's it's going to be something they come up with at some point that they're just going to push on you even though it doesn't make any sense and th- and their position is going to be well nothing
0: makes any sense right that would be uh, i guess the, the the post-modernist view you might say uh, that, that there is no truth and, and nothing necessarily makes sense so why bother trying to make sense out of it let's just do whatever quote-unquote works for us
1: well the post-moderns would, would admit to it but then the, the utilitarian yes. <laughs> the utilitarianism doesn't make any sense either you, you know it. It's just that they may not admit to it.
0: I know many of you are facing major decisions with your health care right now. And I want to make sure that you know about an amazing alternative to your standard corporatized health insurance known as Health Excellence Plus. Health Excellence Plus is an incredible program that helps you keep medical costs under control by taking charge of your own health care and not leaving all the decisions about what doctors you see, what procedures you need or don't need, up to some corporate bureaucrat. Along with providing 24-7 access to medical professionals, tax-deferred health savings accounts, and preventative care, Health Excellence Plus empowers you to finally take control of your health care. To learn more, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health or call the special hotline for Lions of Liberty listeners at 855-290-4447. Be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. All right. Well, Shane, one more thing I definitely want to get into just a little bit. Now, again, I will link to our first two interviews and we went into some of these topics in a lot more depth. And I think that stuff is evergreen and still lives pretty well. So we don't need to go all the way deep into things. But you spend an entire chapter in Reason and Liberty dealing with the concept of meaning. And I think this is so, so vitally important because it's where so many of our arguments and conversations, especially in libertarian circles, get totally crossed up because people will have different meanings in their own Minds for the same term, and they will argue against each other with those different meanings in their heads. So they're not actually having a conversation about the same thing. They're actually discussing two vitally different concepts. And this is something that you you really, really stress that uh, in your book that if we're going to have a, a dialogue and we're going to follow reason with each other. We need to accept each other's meanings. We need to at least, uh, you know, take the other person at their word of what they say they mean. And if you're not going to bother caring what they say they mean, then there's no point in having the dialogue in the first place. And I'll bring up, uh, I think the, mo- the biggest example with your work uh, is the term government. Now, many libertarians, uh, many people who identify as anarchists, ancasts, what have you, even that word government at all, that word is is equivalent to saying tyranny or tyrannical government. Whereas you would make a distinction and say government is something that is completely legitimate, but you would be talking about something completely different than what they're talking about. You would be talking about, uh, and I can let you expand on your vision a little bit more of the city-state model, but you're essentially talking about government, meaning people that have justly acquired property coming together and uh, creating their own own rules within the boundaries of said property, which I think if you break it down in that concept, I- I'd have a hard time of anybody who supports individual rights disagreeing with that concept because that's simply freedom of association now that's a lot that i covered there shane so why don't we just pull things back a little bit and just start at the base concept of what i talked about at the top there and that is just the concept of meaning overall and uh you know why you dedicated an entire chapter to the subject
1: yeah i i dedicated a chapter there's philosophers who write whole books on this topic of meaning um and
0: chapters nothing compared to them
1: (laughs) (laughs) but meaning it's it's a first of all i regard it as a an axiomatic idea so in order to say anything in order to make any disu- you know discussion possible each participant has to have the capacity to mean something by their statements and if they don't have the capacity you know they can't argue that they do or don't have the capacity um, and so you're you're utterly dependent on it it's a base level axiom it's it's a fairly profound Uh, Sort of thing that, that, you know, that's uh, I tried to cover in the chapter, but I'm sure I I'm sure I've missed aspects of it. But yeah, meaning is a function. It's it's an organic function of the human being that they're able to mean things. And the point of philosophy or one of the major points of philosophy is to help us craft our meanings so that they are the best they can be and best according to standards that, you know, we also have to justify. But uh, we get to choose what we mean by things. And we get to choose how the function of meaning operates in our minds. And that, that includes, uh, you know, in every domain, like mathematics. I mean, math- mathematics is, is largely about devising different ways of meaning different things in order to solve certain problems. And then one of the points I make in in that meaning chapter is the importance of striving for statements that pass a the test of all s is p or this statement is true versus fuzzy woozy statements. I mean many people speak in kind of approximate language like they'll make a statement and if you analyze the statement carefully, you'll find out it's not actually completely true. It's kind of like true 90% of the time and, you know, 10% is false. And if you point out to them, hey, 10% of the time, this statement's false. So the statement's false. Um, it won't really phase them. They're okay with that. But uh, the the point, like if you want to be serious and you want to actually have true statements, the point is to figure out how do I rearrange my thinking so that i can separate out the 10 percent from the 90 percent so i have a hundred percent accurate statement and that's you know really what science is all about so if you take an, a, an object and you say you drop it and it falls to the ground you say all dropped objects fall to the ground and you say this is a true statement and and then you bump into a case you let it go and it floats up right and so if you're a an average human being you'll say eh it's okay. Most of the time it's true. I'm just going to say that all dropped objects fall to the ground. But if you're a careful person, you'll say, you'll start analyzing, well, why did this object drop and this one floated away? And you'll carefully analyze, you know, your meaning there, and you will, you will arrive at a new kind of meaning, which is density. And so you'll have the density of air versus the density of the object that you released, which you created this concept of density to, to reconcile your statement so that it's true 100% of the time. Now, we're deep in the philosophy of science, and I just kind of went on that tangent, and I don't know. I'm just trying to kind of uh, explain how rich this, this field of meaning is. Um, so I, I guess that's – I don't know if I've answered your question or not. <laughs>
0: I, I think really – the idea here is that we're, we have to constantly sort of again seek the truth, follow reason, whatever it takes us. But in our dialogues with people, we also have to sort of adjust what you know we have to adjust our meaning and adjust their meaning so that we're in line in a sense when we're when we're having a conversation, and ultimately just. Readapt our meanings and our definitions to new information. Uh, kind of like you said there, with if we think every object falls to the ground when we drop it, and then one day I'm I'm holding a balloon and it floats in the air. Well, okay, I can no longer make that statement. It doesn't mean that my generalization wasn't mostly true, but now I have to adjust it. Now I have to say, okay, well, that's not a that's not a law. That's not a law of physics. I have to introduce this other concept of density. And that's just really just how we need to approach, I think, our philosophy as well. It's the same thing, or approach our conversations about, about philosophy. We have to constantly be adjusting to the new information within the dialogue. We can't just hold on to our, our old definition and hold it as true.
1: Yeah. If, if you care about truth, and when, when we're talking about political philosophy or politics, we're talking about how are billions of people going to live together on the planet? It's a fairly important subject. And so if, if you don't have the mental flexibility to be able to, you know, you know switch from all dropped objects fall to the ground to, to a mindset that can take into account density and you don't have that mental flexibility, maybe you shouldn't be making political assertions like maybe you should leave that to other people. And I think it's important to be flex- mentally flexible enough to be creative enough to solve the problems so that they're 100% correct. So that, and and I think that re- you know relates back to the criticism point that we talked about earlier. Is you know a, a lot of people don't want to hear criticism because they think you're you know sometimes they think you're being petty or you're being you know picking picking a nit. You know oh well look at that balloon it floated up there's something wrong with your statement and they think you're being you know, narrow minded and petty and just being, you know, a troll or something. And uh, the truth of the matter is they're being sloppy and they should clean up their act.
0: Now, I just want to tie this back in before we wrap up here. I want to tie this back in to the concept I mentioned there in my, my little spiel there regarding meaning is your concept of, of the city-state and the city-state model and how even when you describe it, I think when you describe it uh, from square one, I'll let you do that though. Uh, when you describe it to people, it's really hard, I think, for any, even uh, even someone who's, who's considered themselves an individual anarchist, it's hard for, for me to see how they could object to it. Uh, but I think often you're not going to get to that point because they'll hear the word cities and they'll, they'll see that word state in particular that'll trigger them. They'll hear the word government, that'll trigger them and they, they won't even want to listen to your explanation. So I'll let you describe exactly what your conception is of this city-state model.
1: Well, the, the city-state, it's really a federation of city-state model um, and as far as I can understand, it's the only rational solution to to how, how can you uh, have a society based on 100%, you know, all SSP. It's like we talked about with meaning. You know, is this statement 100% true? That is the only way that I have been able to, that I can see how you can make a, a society based on rights that's consistent. The idea is basically is what you've already described, which is that city states are based on uh, individual property rights, and the individual property owners have a have a right to aggregate together and form laws of their land that. Uh, that apply to their property, and it's because they own the property, so therefore they can do that. Um, and there, you know, there's, there's various complications, and people should see my uh, hopefully linked article against anarchism. And then the other, the other side is federations, where city-states have a right to form federations to enforce natural law, which is protect individual rights over whatever area they decide they want to do that on. And so you know the general structure of the United States, for example, even though it's not exactly matching that model, you can see how it can be refined so that it does match that model. So you have the federal government that covers the whole geographic area. you have states that cover other geographic areas. i'd still I would consider a state a type of federation. And then I would consider you know within each state the different cities within each state. Could be, uh, you know, evolve into city states.
0: Yeah, and like I said, you know, I, I you do you have done a lot of extensive work breaking down this concept further in both of your books, Reason and Liberty, and for Individual Rights. And uh, you are also a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride, which means you are in our secret Facebook group. You are a supporter of the program. I thank you so much for that. And uh, so, other members of the Lions of Liberty Pride. They can ask you questions in there too. Uh, if we get enough questions about your work, then uh, perhaps we will do maybe a bonus segment for Pride members, just taking their questions, something like that. Uh, but we definitely want to open up the conversation. And uh, if you disagree with Shane, I can guarantee you uh, he'll be, he'll engage you. You know, uh, he will respond. So um, don't be surprised when he does. <laughs> if you have if you have objections or questions, but uh, in the meantime, I would like to point out we are giving away some copies of your book, Reason and Liberty. We're going to give away copies of that book uh, for say the next week or so to any new members of the. Pride. I mean, we're not going to do – it won't be an unlimited amount, but say up to the next five people or so that join the Lions of Liberty Pride, our group of of supporters who pay to cover our expenses and help this program grow. You can, of course, find that over at lionsofliberty.com slash support next next five people to, to join the Pride will get a free copy of Reason and Liberty and uh, I'll even toss it out to current members if anybody upgrades their membership same thing any any new members or upgrades can get a free copy of Reason and Liberty so that sounds like a pretty good deal to me uh, Shane before I let you go if you just want to toss out I know you have uh, your, your blog that you still update and uh, how else people can find the book of course again we'll link to everything in the show notes but feel free to give everybody the whole roundabout spiel of everything and uh, feel free to mention anything else you've got coming up or any final thoughts? Yeah,
1: it's just uh, reasonandliberty.com slash books. Uh, and you can find them at Amazon under Reason and Liberty, the foundation of civilization. All
0: right, Shane, it's been a pleasure. Keep up the great work. We'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, Mark. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation there with Shane Whistler. Sometimes I just got to try to make you guys think a little bit. So I hope that's what we accomplished here today. If you want that book, there are many easy ways to get it. We will have a link over at today's show notes. Again, you can find those at lionsofliberty.com slash 326. Uh, Of course, if you use our Amazon link to buy that book or buy anything at all, we get a tiny little kickback, which of course helps us fund this little operation here. And of course, the other thing that helps us fund this program are our good friends, and the Lions of Liberty Pride, our patrons who contribute monthly to support this program and help us grow this show. Not only that, but as I mentioned in the interview, if you're one of the first five people to join the Lions of Liberty Pride in the next week, you're going to get a free copy of Reason and Liberty by Shane Whistler. So again, head over to slash support and help us grow this show. And we're doing so by some recent ads we've run on the Tom Woods show, part of the problem show. So Welcome to anybody who's come over there from those shows recently and is checking us out for the first time. Glad to have you here. But it really is those Lions of Liberty Pride memberships that keep this show going and help us to run ad campaigns like that. Of course, as part of that group, you get all sorts of exclusive audio, including a bonus segment with today's guest, Shane Whistler, where uh, we critique, or I should say we, (laughs) he critiques uh, some of the other justifications for libertarianism, such as argumentation ethics, uh, which we did a show on with Stefan Kinsella. I'll post a link to that in the show notes as well today. We also discussed utilitarianism, among other things. So we do have that bonus segment with Shane Whistler available to Lions of Liberty Pride members. Really just a plethora of content in the Lions of Liberty Pride all year, really, but recently this week we've got the Conspiracy Corner, our latest deep dive into conspiracies where we take a look at the uh, Waco incident from the mid-90s where the Branch Davidians, uh, some would call it a cult, others would call it a religious sect, whatever it may be, were essentially... Slaughtered by the uh, the ATF and the FBI and uh, the federal government. So we take a deep dive at that, a big look at that. Of course, you have weekly South Park recaps where Brian McWilliams gets together with Dan Smots. I actually got together with Dan Smots of the System Is Down podcast, a great show you guys should check out, by the way. I got together with him to, to talk about the movie Disaster Artist. So we will be releasing that little bonus movie review to you guys, too. We get all sorts of extra fun stuff in the lines of Liberty Pride, as well as, of course, the fellas do their Degenerate Gamblers podcast where they They play with fake money, of course, and talk about um, the results, really, of of those games. And really, uh, mostly their venting and anger at their losses and that sort of thing. That's that's what I enjoy the most about it. So all of this available for as little as $5 a month. So be sure to check out the Lions of Liberty Pride, lionsofliberty.com slash support. And hey, I don't care if you send us a dime, I still want you to come and join the conversation over in our Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. Just type Lions of Liberty Forum in your search bar, it should pop right up. So long as you appear to be a real human, we'll get you right in there to join the conversation. Of course, be sure to stay tuned and come on back the rest of the week to check out the work of my comrades, my colleagues in Liberty, starting with Brian McWilliams, this coming Wednesday on Electric Liberty Land, your weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty. And, of course, John Odermatt wraps things up this coming Friday on Felony Friday. Be sure to check that out, his weekly look at the broken criminal justice system. Some stellar, stellar guests he's had on there lately. Until next time, folks. Live long! And live free. Drop me a bullet and it's just one night While you shoot through your bullet in a hole